Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Industry Podcast, episode 91. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show... This is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, the Midlands circuit. Helen Stead is the director and founder of NCF Comedy, which started back in 2009 at the Nottingham Comedy Festival. Since then, NCF has grown and has had eight successful comedy festivals and runs shows in Nottingham, Birmingham, Leicester, and throughout the Midlands all year long. We talked about how to progress in NCF, the differences between audiences and places around the Midlands, and why she doesn't do any free comedy nights. Even her new material night is £1 entry. This is a far cry from London, where every open mic or every new material night tends to be free, just to get people in the door, because it's a lot more competitive. But according to her, is it more competitive? We'll find out. It's a, a very interesting interview, and, and I found it really interesting. This episode would be good for anyone who is looking to gig professionally in the Midlands and isn't quite sure where to start, or wants to know more about the Nottingham Comedy Festival and how it operates behind the scenes. If you're new here, please do hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do consider giving us an honest review in iTunes. And either way, do consider giving us a donation to keep the podcast going. All donations, no matter how big or small, really, really help out the show. But now... Without any more delays, this is Helen Stead. Um, so I started NCF Comedy um, back in 2009 just because we realised there was no one else really celebrating what Nottingham has to offer and we really wanted to celebrate that. So we started the Comedy Festival and it just went on from there. Okay, so when you said there was no one doing comedy, so was there no scene there? We, we had... Um, a few comedy clubs going on with us, Funhouse Comedy and Just a Tonic and Junglers. And me and my friend Rachel realised that Nottingham was a fantastic scene for it. And there was nothing there to celebrate that. And we just wanted to bring it all together and just celebrate it all. So that's where the festival came in. Okay. And you're um, unique in the sense, because like you said, there are, there are specific clubs there, but you're not a specific club, like you don't have a dedicated space so how, did, how does that, how do you differ from, for example, just dedicated clubs that are in the area? Well, there's great clubs in Nottingham nowadays, especially with the Glee Club going on. Um, but we just want to take the comedy out into the community. So aside from the festival, we can just turn up at any club, any venue, and just put on a comedy show. And we make it tailored around what the venue wants, what the clientele wants, and we can just make it a special show just for that venue. Um, we've put a lot of heart into the shows. <laughs> well, at least we try to, anyway. And um, that's our passion. When venues are approaching, so I assume they approach you or you approach them. How, how does that work? It's a mixture of the two. I mean, we do we do approach venues, say, would you be interested in having a comedy show here? But then we do get a lot of people coming to us, saying, oh, we've heard about you guys. Could you maybe look into putting a comedy show here? And then we'll go and see them. And if we think it could work, we'll give them a go. Mm-hmm. And if otherwise, we'll. Uh, Politely decline. Depending, it needs to be right for the show. It needs to be right for comedy. And mm. if it's not going to be suitable for comedy, then we wouldn't go ahead. But if you think it's potential, we've got to support the industry. We want to keep comedy going and get it stronger and stronger. Definitely. What What would be your minimum requirements then for a, for a comedy space, like specifically friends here? Um, we just want a nice room um, with a nice clientele, basically. So if it's a space where you can have a good view of the comedy show, and the venue are going to be behind you just and support the shows and we know the people in the area would be up for it, then we'll go ahead for it. 
Uh, but we always give people a couple of chances. So if it doesn't work the first time, we'll probably give them a second chance um, just in case. Because people always make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You've got to accept that. So after a while, we'll tell them again what to do. And if not, then we'll see what happens. But on most occasions, it turns out really well. And you, get some, you can get some really lovely venues that you would never have expected. Mm, yeah, you know that you can do comedy in some really weird locations. Oh yeah, really strange places over the years we've done them. Mm. Places you really should never be able to work it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, somehow, strangely, you can. Mm. We used to have one tiny little bar. It's a free entry show which would never normally work. Mm. With a dog wandering around the pub, it turned into the nicest show for years. It was lovely. It was a village, like Midsummer Murder Village. <laughs> middle of nowhere, you wouldn't know where it was. Mm gorgeous space gorgeous audience everyone's amazing why, why, why wouldn't free comedy work because I know you do the one pound open mic thing we do the one pound comedy night yeah. um, but often we always feel that if you pay to go in you've paid an investment into the show mm-hmm. so for the pound show um, you paid a pound you've put that investment in so then you're going to sit down you're going to enjoy it but if it's free entry you're going to get people standing at the back and they will just chat between themselves very often um, it works at festivals. I think fringe-type festivals work, but in a regular comedy show, from experience, they've never been the nicest shows. It's just people talking all the time, um, standing up. But as pound night, it's just gone from strength to strength. Mm. And it's that investment, but it's only a pound. Mm. So you, your expectations aren't the highest, but you enjoy it even more. And if anyone's been to the show, you know that we do a donation bucket at the end as well. So if, they, if you think it's been worth more than a pound, please do put money in the bucket, which goes all to the acts. And we have anything from £50 to £250 plus in the bucket every show nowadays, just on the back of that. So uh, there's something in it, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I find, because I, I live in London, and, and a lot of the open mics are completely free, mm. and you do get some of them where like there's someone just you know at the back who's talking on the phone, but then you have some really lovely ones that, like, they genuinely know what you know. I feel like the not the audience been trained. I suppose that's the wrong word, but they just they just know the protocol of a comedy night, which means they're not going to do that. Yeah, it's definitely. Some places can do it if they're expecting comedy and they know what to expect. You're going to get lovely people, but sometimes if people just at the bar and they go, "Oh, it's a free show," they will just go up and they'll stand at the back and they will just talk because mm. they're not investing in the show. But if they're there to see comedy, then it's different, which is why it works at a festival because people have gone to the show to see that show. So they're going to respect it as a comedy show as opposed to just a, a pub room and just some entertainment in the corner. So it depends on what the, the venue is and what the event is, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. I've, I find certain areas of London are more likely to have a clientele that are going to be respectful of the night if it's free. Yeah. Do you find that, because you operate in quite a lot of different areas around around the Midlands, do you find there are it's more likely in some places that they're going to be less, I don't want to say comedy savvy, that's probably the wrong way of putting it, but they're just going to be less potentially respectful if it was free. Yeah, everywhere's different. You've got yeah. to look at the area. Um, we've done places, a free show, in a really rough area and it doesn't work sometimes. But in other areas, it can be free and actually can be a lovely show because the audience are respectful and they're there to see it. And then they work well then. You said that the, the venue themselves often sort of uh, want to work with you rather than you work for them yeah. and that's always an interesting dynamic so do you, do you see it as a partnership? Do you, do you work for them or how does It's very much a partnership. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's got to put in to get anything out of it. I mean mm. we're there because we want to have a good comedy show but they're also there because they want to bring people into their bar or their venue and they want to serve alcohol and drinks so you've got to work together to get it to that stage. If it's just all of us doing it then yeah, we'd get an audience in, but they're the key market. They know it's their audience, so they need to work together as well. It's very much a two-way thing. So we do our side of bargain as long as they do theirs as well. When it comes down to um, lineups and things, how much say did the venue get over the lineups, or do you just do that completely? Um, we will ask them um, what sort of area and their clientele is. So we're making sure we're booking the right sort of artists for them, but. We tend to like just to get on the bookings, the acts ourselves, because we know what we're talking about when it comes to comedy, and we can put the people together that we think is right for them. Whereas some of the venues sort of say, we want Michael McIntyre, and we go, you're not going to get Michael McIntyre on a £500 budget. <laughs> and it's, um, they have great ideas, and we will listen to them. Mm. I think that's so important. You have to listen to what they want. But they don't always know what's going to work for them. So that's where we have to come in and go, actually, we think maybe someone like this is going to be better for you. 
and more often than not it works that way um, occasionally someone won't do too well and you listen back to the feedback and you'll take that on board for future shows but if someone doesn't do well in a certain club or a certain venue like do you keep records of that you just go we just won't put them for that but because but because we know they're funny we'll put them in another one how how does that affect like a performer um we just we look at every act and every venue individually so if someone doesn't do particularly well in one venue we'll take that on board and remember okay they didn't work here but that doesn't mean they're not going to work somewhere else so we mm. just try them at a different venue um and just see because as you know, every venue is different, every location is different, and audiences vary widely. Someone in one venue might like a lot of blue material, someone else might not want any at all. So if you get someone who's a really dark comedian in a, the most friendly atmosphere, it's never going to work. No. Um, so you've got to keep giving them a few chances and see. So my colleague has an amazing memory, so he tends to remember everything when it comes to comedy. That's down to his Asperger's, but um, I, I'm starting to have to write a few things down because... I'm starting to forget now, so I'm having to write little notes to remind myself. But it's always constructive and down to the venue, not the individual. Yeah, there's a lot that gets said about uh, the circuit being quote-unquote in crisis of, of like there not being enough gigs for the number of comedians. And um, I don't know, I don't know about you, but in London, I feel that it's more um, that, that potentially there aren't enough people at a certain level rather than there not being enough gigs or there aren't enough things that are helping people bring people up to a certain level to be able to get paid to do the work. Do you, do you find that similar in the Midlands? Or Yeah, it is quite similar. I know the London circuit is different to the rest of the country circuit, but... Yeah, it's its own little world. It is really its own little world. Yeah. We find a lot of acts coming from London have an idea of something and they come to the Midlands and it's completely different. Mm. Um, it's hard. There's a lot, there are a lot of gigs, but... We get inundated with comedians, so there's a lot more comedians than there are gigs. And we struggle to give the work to the acts that we want to. We see people, we really want to book them, but just we're struggling to get the gigs ourselves to have to give those out. Um, and again, it's the venues. I think I'm finding budgets at the moment, the venues are going down rather than up, which restricts us even more to be able to increase that, to be able to help people get to the next level. But where you can, you always will go out of your way to... Help, help hacks on the developments of the careers. Definitely, definitely. That's, that's what you're there for. Exactly, yeah. That's yeah. where we, we're in it because we want to help the artists to improve their career and to help them along. Mm. Why do you think budgets are going down? It's a hard one. I've been asking myself that a lot recently. It's, um, I think people aren't willing to take as many gambles at the moment. Do you mean like, so the budget for acts or the budget for the whole night as a whole, or is that the whole same thing? Um, basically, we charge, tend to charge the venue a set fee, right. um, which majority of that goes to the acts. We take the mm. bare, we actually take the bare minimum, just because we want to give more back to the acts, because mm. we know when acts are travelling, you've got to consider all, all your costs and stuff. Um, and yeah, we're finding we're having to turn place down because they won't even cover an acts fee from London. Mm. And then that's just not going to work, but... We've just lost the venue actually because they tried to increase the ticket price and refused to increase their budget because they were scared and worried about it and it's ended up having to fizzle out just because they didn't want to invest more money into it because they were scared of losing more, hmm. even though it's getting better and stronger, which is quite a strange logic. But yeah, so yeah, people are, I think, just scared a bit more at the moment. And I mean, is that, uh, I mean, uh, looking at a bigger picture outside of comedy, is that? to do with the world of politics is that to do with you know what would you you know where's your mind been going with that I think it's a mixture of everything obviously with Brexit people are worrying a bit more about the future Mm. Um, I think people are just generally a bit more conscious of the how much things cost nowadays Mm. and I think for years ago people were willing to put money into stuff and now they're thinking twice before they're doing anything but that's not to say people aren't doing stuff people are putting money and stuff and still doing It'd just be nice if they could uh, increase it a little bit more so we can actually give the work to more acts, basically. Really. Yeah, I think the cost for me personally to get around has gone up. Um, it's extortionate. Train fares now, I was looking the other day, I just can't believe how much it costs. It's cheaper to drive. Yeah. Which <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah, but if you can't drive or you can't afford a car, you know, because that's obviously an initial outlay that is quite more expensive than a train ticket. Oh, very much so. And also, especially in the Midlands, last trains back to London are like half past nine, mm. which is before gigs even finish. Mm. So when you consider that, it's just 
it's a no-brainer, really, is it? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> just you, prices you out. Yeah, you can't close if you wanted to, which is usually the most high... Uh, well, MC, but the highest-paying spot. Oh, yeah, normally. We're, yeah. We're, we always try to consider that when booking acts, and if we've got someone from London or Manchester, we'll try and put other people in from the same area, so people can at least try and travel together to try and reduce how much it costs for them, really, to come up. So when when you're putting together a, a lineup and you're thinking about stuff like that, does knowing an act as a car or, or has a facility to help people out ever impact your choice to, to book them? Um, I think if we've got up to two people and we're debating which one it is, but we'd always, in the end, go for whoever we think is right for the show. Mm. I think that's what the most important is. Are they right for the show? Yes or no. If you've got two people you can't decide, then you might go, well, we could do, there's a lot of people from there, it will help them financially, then we will consider it. Um, but it's never, ever the main reason we book someone. It's always whoever's right for the show in the end. That's the number one. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and when it comes down to uh, the venue themselves getting involved or, or trying to get involved in going, we want McIntyre or, or whoever, um, there's obviously been like quite a shift in trying to encourage diversity across uh, gigs, especially the live circuit. How are you, fi- are you finding that that is because I find that's quite a progressive thing in London, generally speaking, because they're trying to keep uh, the number of female acts or the number of minority acts on certain bills. Are you finding that that's something they're specifically requesting for or something you're pushing through or...? We've had, I think, one venue request uh, a female act, an alternative act, so, and whoever else. And we try our best to do that. But to be honest, I'm very much, you need to book who's right for the show. Mm. Um, If that happens to be three women, in one lineup, that's what it is. If there isn't any that day, that's what it is. I'm going for who's available and who's right for the show. Um, I'm trying to see if everyone is equal. Whether that's because I'm female myself, so I'm just trying to see how what I want to be treated. But I'll always book whoever, whoever's right for the show. will get the job, mm. no yeah. matter where they're from. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like it to be more meritocracy driven, but obviously not everything is equal, unfortunately, outside no. of the gig, and it does make it quite hard to... to see everything as because if every, everyone lived within five minutes of the gig then you could go right well now we can you know sort of uh, weigh up whether they're the best person because they could walk to it or they could do whatever but obviously you know if you've got someone driving 300 miles and it's going to cost them you know how much in petrol you have to uh, I suppose it's I suppose it's a, an, an unwritten formula in your head that you're sort of always adjusting yeah, we're always, we're, there's a lot goes around our heads. As you can <laughs> probably imagine when we're booking acts, we're thinking of absolutely every scenario and working out is this right for them as well as it is right for us. Um, but in the end, when we do bookings, we tend to ask who's available. So people we know wouldn't put their names forward if they think it's just too far for, if not enough money or whatever the reason may be. How many people would you say on average you get applying for every spot? Anything from, I'd say, 40 to 100 per spot. It depends on when it is and how much the budget is, but we I've had emails crash before for one spot because it just does too many people asking for it. I have to make a database now of just literally everyone's names and we have to go through them all. It's a quite a long process just to go through the list. Yeah, well first of all, do you get back to everyone who you can't go to? I don't. I would love to be able to. I physically don't have time because there's too many of them. So is it... Is it worth, if you're a performer who has emailed in trying to get a spot and you haven't heard back, is it worth or trying again or is that going to annoy you because you've already got 100 emails that you can't get back to anyway? I say it depends on the show. If someone's asked a specific question in emails we get occasionally, then obviously chase it up and we'll get back to you. Um, but if someone's constantly asking the same question, it does get a bit irritating after a while. In fact, the most annoying one is where people keep doing it on social media. Because if you're out and about one day, on your de- one day off, and everyone's asking you questions, the emails aren't going through to the proper place where they should be, so we can't put them listed down. So when they keep asking us, then it gets annoying. When you just switched off. <laughs> uh, but when it's on emails, it's not quite as bad, I'd say, because at, at least it's in the right place. Yeah, and it's like you can sit down and go, I'll deal with this now. Yeah, that's what I do. I tend to sit down and go, OK, I'm going to do this booking now. Who's available? And if the name keeps popping up, then I just write them once rather than ten times. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but social media is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose the key takeaway there is don't tag you in a question. Send it in an email. Send it. You always send it in an email, definitely. In fact, recently um, with the Comedy Festival, I've had a lot of acts email me via Facebook asking questions. 
I'm currently in Edinburgh. <laughs> it's not the best place for me to be answering that. Whereas people back in the office are dealing with it and they're missing these emails because they're coming via Facebook. Yeah. So that happens if you're not careful. Or you just forget to reply when yeah. you're there. At least when you're in the office, you're going down emails so you don't forget you can see them. Yeah, that was, that was kind of where I was getting at is because I think a lot of performers... I think a lot of performers are torn between the idea that um, you've, you've maybe the email slipped because you get so many of them, or whether you're actually not getting back to us because you've sorted out that lineup and you're just getting on with the next one kind of thing. And so I think sometimes we feel a bit like we're bugging you because we're like, well, not you specifically, but yeah. like we're bugging you. And someone at NCF where we're going, is that spot still available? Whereas, you know, but then we don't know because your end, it could be still available. I'd rather people, I've had someone before when I've sent a general gig email out, they've assumed that means they've got the gig. Okay. <laughs> Which is, you're thinking, where? and they've got an apology, I'm so sorry, I can't make the gig. And if you can, but you were never booked for the gig. <laughs> um, so if someone's worrying, I'd rather they email and then it settles yeah. their mind. As long as you're not doing it 10 times a day, every single day, it's fine just to check. Um, mm. And we will get back as long as we remember <laughs> but we always try if we can anyway mm. what would you say well my question was going to be what would you say was the progression ladder at NCF but I think a, a, a more important question to preface that is um, I've found if I'm if I'm doing some nice clubs say in London yeah. and then I sort of apply for a club or say I, I apply for a middle spot in the Midlands you've never seen me so often I find I have to sort of start again in a new area even though you could easily email you know like a club and say has he done this how was he yeah. and all that kind of stuff but then you don't know the clientele of that venue and I understand it from your perspective on that front so when st- let's do it that way when starting to apply for stuff at NCF should you always start with open spots or if you are at a certain level and but maybe you've never heard of them where, where would you recommend someone it depends on the level of the artist we do our one pound comedy night now which is, is for new acts and new material so we would say if we've never seen you then we would ask we could come up and we could watch and have a look but at the same time we've been in here for a long time now we do know a lot of people um, so we can obviously find out and we will talk to people and see what they'd have to say um, or if someone let's say is performing at the Glee Club um, rather than say down to Pound Night we'd say just let us know when you're performing in the area we'll come down and see you if we can um, so we will we'll make the effort to go and see people but uh, we look at every act individually and we do read the CVs and watch videos all the time. Even if I know them, I still watch the videos just to make sure they're right for the job. Mm. Um, but we do like to see them firsthand if, if we can. Mm. And what would you say are the biggest mistakes people make when emailing in? Not including the details of the CV and the videos. Okay. Or not having an up-to-date website. <laughs> that's, every, that's every comedian listening now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most annoying thing ever because sometimes you're looking at a line-up again shall I put this person on that I'm not sure who they are or I've seen once or whatever and you, you check it and then you go on the website and there's nothing it was five years out of date and if you can I can't judge you on a, a video from five years ago because you've probably changed a lot in that time mm. so it's nice for people to keep up to date so we can see but also when we actually book people we need to use the photos or send them to the clients and just show what we're booking and if there's nothing up to date it makes that job a little bit difficult I've literally sent someone a 10-year-old video before because that's the only thing they had on the website. Which yeah. I was like, they don't, they're not like this anymore, but... <laughs> but imagine that 10 years now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, people need to keep things updated, definitely. And, but what would you say if someone... So say someone has a new video, but they don't want to put it on their website because they don't want their material, you know, still using it and stuff. So how is your relationship with that? Do you just request the information or...? I find some apps don't put things on videos uh, and they'll send them like a little private attachment mm. on YouTube and they'll just send you the link. Mm. So if you ask for it and they can just send, yeah, here's my video, I don't want it public knowledge, that's absolutely fine. Um, it's only really if we're trying to make sure we're booking the right person for the shows. So when you're seeing someone, like say, say you came and saw Comedian X at a club, would you be booking them to do that set or do you just book them to come and do whatever they want to do? We trust the comedians to know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if they're performing the show, we'd expect them to kind of look at the audience and work out what they think is going to be right for that show. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously if you're performing at Junglers on a Friday night, that's going to be a very different audience to 
um, a nice hotel on a Sunday night. It's mm. a different audience. You can't expect to do the same material. Mm. Uh, but comedians are professionals, mm. and we trust them to know what they're doing. And you're, uh, you've obviously mentioned a few clubs in the area, well, specifically in Nottingham, but obviously around all the areas yeah. that you operate. What is your relationship with those clubs? Do you feed into their lineups as well, or are you, are you just using them to help scout for extra talent? We have a good relationship with most of the clubs, actually. Um, we would just pop along and go and see them, have a chat, and um, we use them to really see friends, but also to scout for new talents. Um, but at the same time, if they've got a problem, we want to be on hand there to help them. So if they've had a dropout, we will help them try and find somebody um, in a way they would do the same for us as well. So it's it's quite nice, actually, having a good relationship with most people. Mm. Yeah, it makes life a lot oh, easier. Definitely. We're all in the same industry. Yeah. We need to all work together, and together we can make it stronger. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, I think if you look at it as we're all in it together, it makes the lonely nights drives a lot more uh, bearable. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, we all know what comedy's like. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, so it's, it isn't a really nice industry, actually, when people, when something happens to somebody, everyone gets up together, and that's yeah, that's good. But also, I, I, I mean, if you're in a car journey with someone for a while, uh, you, you will find out very quickly if someone's been a dick. So Yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And we find out as well. Occasionally, we, we always drive out to those train stations if really needed, so mm. we'll go to extra miles. We've had those car journeys as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never understand it. I, I'm sat in car journey sometimes with someone who's just moaned about something someone's done, and I'm like, "Do you not know people talk? Like <laughs> everybody knows each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just yeah. Think before you speak. <laughs> yeah, or, or act because I feel like you need to own your actions in life, and and I think I think some people think that we have very short memories, but and we do in some areas. But I think if you hurt someone or you do something stupid or you just say something stupid. Yeah, definitely. I was once told in Edinburgh a few years ago, actually, by an act, and they went, be nice to people on your way up, because when you're on the way down, if you've been horrible, they will be the first to push you down. Um, but it's like, just support each other. I, I'm always a strong believer of, you treat others how you want to be treated yourself. And mm. um, I won't want to be someone slagging you off behind your back, so I will never do that to them. Yeah. Um, support each other. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if the, thing, the thing I find quite useful is I'm at a stage where enough people know that I'm fine with constructive feedback that yeah. people can come up to me afterwards and say even if I don't really know them very well and say oh by the way I like that but blah 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 yeah. and that's great but it's when people just come over and go oh shit that you're like what do I do with that <laughs> no you need to be constructive yeah I mean yeah material's not always going to work yeah it's I've every act had material die. Yeah. Um, so constructive is absolutely fine even for promoters it's nice to hear feedback to go oh I don't think that bit worked, could you maybe do it this way? Completely take that on board, but if someone just comes up to you and goes, yeah, that's the worst I've ever seen, that's not helping anybody. No. <laughs> not at all. No. So when, so if an act did your gig, and say, say an act did a gig for you, thought it went quite well, has been emailing him for other gigs, but maybe you just haven't booked them because you think they're not right for the gigs that, that you're doing, not because yeah. they weren't good, just because whatever. Would you be okay with them emailing in to say, you got any feedback? Is, is there a reason you're not booking me at the moment? That kind of thing. I don't. We don't mind giving feedback if yeah. an act asks for it. Um, I'm more than happy to give feedback when I can. Uh, I tend to like doing it actually at the night itself, yeah. when it's all fresh and you can remember exactly what happens. Um, but often, if we've not booked an act, it's not because we don't necessarily like them. It's just there's a lot of acts asking for the same spot, and we're just going for who we think is right for that show. It doesn't. It's nothing. Nothing personal ever. I've, I've had a, uh, quite a number of friends move to Manchester because yeah. there's a really good scene there. Oh, Manchester's great, yeah. Yeah, and also it's, it's um, uh, from what I've been told, it's small enough that everyone, again, knows each other, but, it, uh, but again, city-wise, it's small enough you can double up a lot easier than in London, and, yeah. and so they've said that progression is a lot... Uh, it's not easier because you still have to be funny, but it's a lot more... Uh, you can see a narrative and a, and a ladder for where you're going with that. Do you find that is similar in other cities around the Midlands? I think so. Rather than being in the Midlands, rather than just being a particular city, though, it's raw quite close by. I mean, we've got Derby half an hour away, Leicester's like 45 minutes, Birmingham's an hour. So it's more people doubling up from different cities. So, yeah, you might have to jump in a car. Um, but it's a really nice scene, nice circuit, where you, you can get pretty much anywhere. Also, the Midlands is such a good place. You can be um, in Newcastle in three hours, in London in two hours. You can have a great basis to get to anywhere you need in the country. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it is different to London and Manchester, mm. but it, it's equally as good. Yeah. If someone wanted to move to the Midlands to, to progress as a comedian, which city would you say 
go for that because that's the one that we notice has the most support, the most progression, uh, the most whatever. I'm very you... biased of Nottingham. <laughs> it's my yeah, hometown. Of course. Um, but it's Nottingham is great, obviously. It's the biggest in the East Midlands. I mean, we have, there's so many shows going on there now. Um, Birmingham has amazing transport links and, again, has a great circuit. Um, I thought we could talk about the Nottingham Comedy Festival yeah, um, right. because that's your that's your sort of baby. It is my baby. <laughs> um, and what's it, where, first of all, um, for someone who hasn't done a Nottingham Comedy Festival before, let's put Edinburgh to one side, even though we're here now. Yeah. But we all know that is just such a different level of festival. Very different. Nothing compared against Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and, and great... Uh, Thankfully so. I feel like when I spoke to the Brighton Fringe, um, they were like, we don't, we couldn't handle this many people coming in. No. So, so it's like, no, I don't think many places want to be another Edinburgh. I think they kind of like that that exists, but... Edinburgh's amazing. It's such an amazing atmosphere and an incredible place, but yeah, it's good it's just one Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so, w- first of all, why was the Nottingham Comedy Festival started? Well, the Comedy Festival, uh, where we started back in 2009, was literally just started because um, me and my friend Rachel realised there was no one really celebrating comedy and what the city has to offer. We know it's, it's so much culture and stuff going on and we just wanted to like show everyone that, shout about it. So we started for that and we were quite young and naive at the time. <laughs> we just literally learned on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nottingham's a brilliant place. Um, there really are so many places going on and past few years since the festival began I've seen so many new comedians crop up in not just stand-up but in sketch and characters and improv and it's it's been incredible just to see them all develop and that's what we that's what we like to do and see. Yeah yeah I can imagine. How, how do you see it fitting in to the wider like um, so if you looked at like the year and how like each month pretty much now has or every city almost now has uh, yeah. a festival <laughs> where do you see Nottingham fitting in to a year if you were a touring or a festival going comedian? Well, the Nottingham is, because it takes place in November, it's a nice time of year that it's it's after the fringe, people finish the shows and people are starting to think about the next year's show. It is. So we like to see it as a, a bit of a starting point to help people along the way ready for their fringe journey, basically. Um, where it stands on the levels, it's hard to say. I mean, there's some amazing comedy festivals in, this, in the country, which I think we should all be very proud of. Um, we just want to, as long as we're sitting alongside them, we're very happy. Um, as long as we're doing a good job for the comedians, so they can have a good show, that's all, we, that's all we matter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hmm. So when you're, because obviously you don't, you, it's, it's open access in the sense that everyone can kind of apply to it. It is open access, yeah. Yeah. But you don't do the bookings of shows necessarily because it's it's like Edinburgh where like Laughing Horse will go to you as Fringe Central there. Yeah, yeah basically. Uh, we like to see the festival as open access. So if you want a show, you're more than welcome to put a show on. We don't want to put any restrictions in place. Obviously, not everyone does get a show, but that's more because there's no not enough venues or enough promoters to do those. Personally, the festival doesn't win shows. However, my sister company, NCF Comedy, 
does win a venue, but that's just because um, we run the Canal House and we're very proud of that, so we still put shows on. But that is separate from the festival, just to be complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we just want to have it as open access. So if you can find a venue and a promoter, you're more than welcome to join in as long as it's comedy. And so, by the sounds of it, you encourage work-in-progress shows? Oh, very much so, yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, being November, you'll get people just starting the tours, which is brilliant. Um, but we've had people write their future Edinburgh shows and just started it, because you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> and it's, yeah. um, it's nice to be able to see. I think the best ones tend to be when they're combining the two shows, really, and you get mm. the last year's show, and it's going into new material, and then you can get to see that through the years, going to Leicester in February as well. And gradually through the years, you see the shows develop, and then you see the final piece in August. Mm. And wh- why did you pick November? What was the... Oh, why did we pick November? Let's <laughs> go back a few years now. Yeah. I think it was just, it was a nice time of year. Um, obviously, Leicester's in February. We didn't want to clash with those guys. Um, and then we've also got, Ed- obviously, Edinburgh in August and we wanted a good time of year where it's far enough away from the others uh, but where people wanted to go out and and I think November it's before Christmas mm. where people just want to get out and not be stuck indoors but enjoy a show and have a laugh yeah because uh, because if you started in 2009 I'm just wondering what has changed in that sort of what eight years now in terms of the city as well as um, outside of the fringe time that has sort of help it grow? Yeah, I mean, it's the eight, well, it's eight years into it, so we were nine years old, just to be complicated again. <laughs> um, I, just, I say since we started, there's been a lot more support. People are getting behind the whole festival now. And there's so much more comedy going on in Nottingham. Um, I'm seeing loads of independent and local acts like suddenly appearing from nowhere who people have never done it before and they start to have goes and do shows and um, and people coming into the city we've got international people this year as well coming in which is lovely and it's just nice to watch them and the audience are getting more used to comedy a bit more comedy savvy now mm. do, do you use the festival to scout for like acts and, and developing acts for like spots in clubs or yes okay any show we ever see, doesn't matter when it is, we're scouting and considering for future. That's why we're in Edinburgh now as well, we're doing exactly the same thing. We do that as well in Nottingham mm. and all the other festivals. Do you find though, because um, when I spoke to Hills Jago about this, mm. um, we run to Amuse Moose, she said that she doesn't really go and see hours because she doesn't book hours, she books slots. So do you find, because it's a totally different skill set to do a, a, a... Completely different, yeah. Yeah. So how do you take an hour show and extrapolate that they could do a 20 minute type set in a club for example I think it depends on the show I mean, if you go to a show and it's a whole hour story then you can't judge that for a 20 minute spot but some shows it's just like best bits of the shows and you, you can get a good idea mm. um, but for NCF Comedy we do book our shows as well because oh, um, because of Nottingham Festival Leicester and also Derby Comedy Festival mm. um, we're booking hours all the time um, so we have to go and see a mixture of the hour shows and the 20-minute slots. Mm. But that's where compilation shows come in handy, actually. Mm. They're great places to go and watch and just see a, a mixture of acts. Mm. It sounds like you have quite a good relationship with other fringe festivals. Um, what would you say is your relationship with each festival? Um, I say it's good. I mean, I'm always the one to try. <laughs> I just I like to try and get on with everybody, to be yeah. honest. I just want to, I said earlier, we're all, all in this together, so I want to go along and mm. have a chat with them. I mean, when I first started Nottingham, the f- one of the first things I did was go to speak to Jeff Rowe in Leicester. Mm. Um, pretty much straight away, we booked a meeting, we went and had a chat with him and sat down. Mm. He's so lovely. He's lovely, he's yeah. Amazing. He's, he's yeah. a nice guy. He's done an incredible job over these mm. 25 years, yeah. I think it is now. Um, we just think it's important to get along and, as I said earlier, support each other. Mm. It feels like it was really nice about, uh, so I've spoken to Jeff and, and uh, I'm going to try and get on some people from Derby Fringe and uh, obviously yourself from Nottingham. Uh, like whenever I talk to anyone there, it feels much more supportive than London. And I mean, don't get me wrong, London is very supportive on an individual basis with your little cliques and whatever, but it doesn't feel as, as much support as I feel like I have when I go to the Midlands. Do you think that's like a cultural thing? Do you think that's a... What would you think is like sort of been cultivated there that the, the heartless London is sort of <laughs> overlooking? London seems to be its own little world almost. Yeah. Um, from experience, the rest of the country, we just 
we chat to each other, we help each other out where we can. Mm. Uh, it is a nice little, nice little circuit, and I'm sure London. I've not got a great experience of the London scene, but it's. Uh, I'm sure you'd have a little bit of that, but it's that's probably just a London lifestyle, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you don't look at anyone on the tube, don't you? Yeah, you don't. You just. I remember when I was living down there. Just look straight ahead. Just keep walking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, they bleeding? No, 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 no. That's just tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's kind of. Um, I don't know. It's just always really refreshing whenever I go up, and I, and I love doing the the Midlands gigs now because they're just so. I don't know. Even if you even if you have like a bad crowd or you've done badly or anything that happens, which can happen to everyone, oh, of course, can it, it? You just feel so much less like you have to beat yourself up and more like everyone wants to kind of go. Let's talk about that. Let's let's analyze why that went wrong. Or yeah, well, I think that's that's what you should do. Yes, <laughs> we should all help each other. So yeah, if someone has a bad gig, rather than just slating them, you go and help them or see well how can we make this better or. It might have not been the X fault. It could be the venue or the the audience, which happens a lot. Mm. So no, not to can be known to be quite reserved audiences, and we get a lot of acts beating themselves up about that. Mm. And we go, no, that that's just the Nottingham for you. <laughs> that's not you at all. Uh, so because we know that, we can kind of help support a little bit more. And I'd say the the Midlands scene is a nice scene. Everyone does seem to know each other and gets along, and we all try and help and support. Yeah, yeah. Literally before we started, I said, "Oh, do you know Barry? I know Barry. Let's talk." Oh, Barry, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lovely guy. Yeah. Um, well, I, I now want to ask you something completely different, but I wanted sure. to just finish off uh, a point because when I said uh, your relationship with other festivals, I meant, um, say, for example, you had a show that came to the Canal House and, and you yep. loved it. Would you then, I mean, email, for example, Jeff and go, "You've got to, you've got to get this down to your festival. It's amazing. It's going to be great." Like, what's your professional relationship with? We do recommend shows. Yeah. To a lot of people, um, mm. especially different festivals, when we're talking to them, we will go, oh, well, this show came to us, it's really good, go and support it, go and see it. Mm. And they'll do the same thing to us as well. Mm. What do you mean by, so the thing I was going to ask on top of that was, you said not audiences can be quite reserved. What do you mean by reserved? They could be quite quiet to start with, um, almost like they want to be shown why they should be laughing. Okay. <laughs> um, it tends to be most clubs I see in Nottingham, Originally, they can be a bit quiet, but then they gradually warm up and then they relax and they love it. I mean, Nottingham just are brilliant audiences. Mm. Um, that's just from experience, what I've noticed. And I've had a lot of acts going, oh, I did awful, I died. And they go, you didn't die. They loved you. They just weren't laughing out loud, but you could see they were loving you. And the comments they, they get to us as well at the end are just mm. incredible. So... Because that's very interesting. Because I've done I've done a gig in Derby Fringe, I've done a Nottingham Fringe, and then I've done a, a Nottingham gig, and I found yeah very much the entire gig that I did, everyone was it, it was hard to get them to to get into it, and I remember yeah. leaving feeling a little bit like I've not done well here because you just do cause a lot you, of people do yeah yeah the problem is that um, as a comedian your your sort of scale or barometer of doing well is sort of titter laugh applause break kind of thing and if you don't get those you sort of think why did I drive here am I doing throwing in that kind of thing so it's nice to hear that well not nice to hear but it's it's interesting to hear that you've noticed that they're yeah I've noticed that as well we do a lot of shows in Derby as well it's, it's pretty, pretty much the same um, they're laughing they're loving it they're just not necessarily laughing out loud about it but you, we get a lot of people coming to us at after shows telling us how much they loved it um, I wish they would make that a bit more louder in the shows to start with, but after a while they tend to come, get used to it and settle down and relax. And mm. They are great audiences. Yeah, Very I'll, comedy savvy, respectful, oh yeah. we tend to find. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had nothing negative to say about yeah. it except for louder would have been nice. Would have been nice, yeah. We try to, with our beginning of the shows, trying to build them up a bit nowadays and go, mm. and just say, make sure you laugh and the more laughs you get, and etc. Mm. And... Do you find, so for promoting shows, for example, at the Nottingham Festival, um, I know you've got like Left Line and like local sort of yep. arts magazines and stuff. Um, what sort of, uh, let's do it the, the negative way. What do you think are the worst mistakes people make when they're trying to promote a show at, at the Nottingham Festival? When they just don't promote it. As <laughs> okay, simple as that. Uh, we get a lot of acts complaining that, oh, they get many audience there. And you go, well, did you tell anybody about the show? Yeah, yeah. And they go, no. <laughs> I mean, the least thing you do is put posts up at the venue. Mm. Uh, just send some posts of flyers so we can exit fly for you. And um, mm. that's always the most important one. Obviously, there's 
Nottingham is not as big as Edinburgh. There's not as many places to put posters and stuff. But there's definitely a few places. Um, but we just can't be inundated with them. Um, but the venues want them. And social media. We Every single year, personally, I go on face, Facebook and Twitter and I do a special tweet out of every single festival show. Just then, I, then I know everybody's had something out there and then I've passed it to them and they can retweet it. But surprisingly, a lot don't even do that, mm. which is quite unusual. Um, but we were saying earlier, um, One Act has already done that and is near enough sold out already just because they've just told people about the shows. Yeah. But that's why we do the festival brochures as well, though. So those who don't do it, at least they've still got some advertising going out. Mm. Would you... Um, so if, so if an act was applying to overdo the, the comedy festival or, or a spot, would you take into account their social media following or is that not as relevant? Um, for the festival, I just go for who I think... When I'm booking the festi- my mm. festival shows, I book who I think is right for the venue. I don't really look at their Twitter followers. Um, mm. If someone I know doesn't promote shows, then I might think twice. But if I know they're going to promote, then it sometimes could sway if you're undecided. But... I always gave a who I think is right for the show or mm. venue. That's always the most number one importance. Yeah, yeah. I just know that some promoters, um, first of all, uh, sort of hope that the person they're booking will help bring in people, especially for a, a show. Um, but it sounds like a lot of your gigs have kind of, I don't say pre-made audiences, but would that be fair to say? Yeah, we'd, we'd never want to be on those bringer shows. Right. Um, it's, we're, there to, we're there to promote the shows. And mm. we'll bring people in. Obviously, it's nice if an act has a following and they bring their friends, not the friends, sorry, but the fans, mm. and the fans come along. That's that's brilliant. Um, and especially when it comes to a festival show, there's a lot of shows going on. Mm. <laughs> so, obviously, we'd, we would expect people to say, oh, I'm doing my festival show, and tell the fans about it. Mm. But not in a bringer sense. Yeah, I didn't notice on your website any bringer gigs. No, I would never do them. No, and I and, I've, and I very rarely see them in the Midlands in general. Yeah, it's not really a thing around the Midlands um, okay. at all. I mean, when we're promoting a show like the Bomb Pound Comedy Night, um, we will say, if you want to tell people, this is the Facebook link. But if someone doesn't do it, that's absolutely fine. Mm. We're never going to force you. We're booking the act for the act and for their talents not for how many people they can bring yeah no no I understand it's that uh, what I mean is um, some some promoters so uh, if we take Barry for example we we're talking about yeah. he obviously has quite a big podcast following and now does, yeah. a, a quite a cult like Twitter following so it's um, useful to know that he could potentially get a certain number of people in for a festival show it does make you think what size venue should I put them in okay um, that's probably more the we had one person last year who sold out a, a 50 seat venue and they were okay they've sold that out just purely from people they know or their the fans and followers like, okay we'll increase the size this year mm. and that's where that's as far as it goes really for us okay yeah that that makes sense and it and it also um yeah i mean some of the promoters i've spoken to have said that uh, it actually sometimes works against someone because if they're really good at like sketch comedy online for example yeah. where it's heavily edited and so they've got loads of time to make the take work or do it over and over yeah. again they might not be as good live because they don't have the opportunity to edit and so they don't necessarily trust them as much as they would do if they were just doing one take things or, or putting you know live stuff up so I wondered whether that is a thought process you ever... Oh, yeah, I'd say it does go for you. You do think about... You think about everything, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Every such little tiny thing you n- mm. normally think about, you, f- you do think about it. Mm. Uh, but in the end, it's... Is it going to be a good show? Mm. And if, if, so, if it's a sketch show that you know this has been highly edited, then you think, well, you want to put a good show on for the audience and for the acts, want everyone to have a nice time. Mm. And you have to think about stuff, but... How do you detach yourself from your own comedy interest for the interest of a show? It's um, it's strange really. I automatically do it now without thinking. I just think I put my personal opinions aside and think: Is this person good at doing what they do? Are they going to be appropriate for this venue? I mean, I've booked acts on that I personally don't enjoy. Not that I don't like them personally as individuals, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't enjoy their comedy, but I know they're going to be suitable for the show. Mm. And if I know they're going to be right for that show and the audience is going to love, love them, I wouldn't even think twice about booking them. I'd just put them on straight away. Same time, I um, wouldn't necessarily put someone who I absolutely personally love if I don't think they're going to be right for the show. Mm. Um, but it's, I think over eight years of doing it now, it's, just, it's all, almost automatic. 
Mm. Well, that doesn't say that me and Elliot don't have debates occasionally. <laughs> when he loves one person, I love somebody else. So we literally debate it to death to work out who's going to be the right. And eventually we get an answer. Yeah, yeah. Would you, would you, if say, for example, you knew someone wasn't a particularly pleasant person, but was a very funny person that would work on a bill, would that ever come into play in your... Again, it depends on if they're the only person we think is going to be right for the show, mm. we will do that because we, we need to write right act. Mm. If you've got it down to a couple of people, you're not quite sure, you're always going to go for whichever one you think. Well, if they've been really difficult to work with, mm. you're going to go for the person who's easier to work with. Mm. But whoever's right for the show is the one who needs to get booked. Mm. It's a great and, mantra to have. And that's um, when it comes down to it, that's the only importance. Mm. So you've got to put personal feelings aside occasionally. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, um, be professional. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I'm finding in this is um, because it's so subjective and also humour is such a personal thing for everyone. Yes. And it's so intrinsically linked to who you perceive yourself as that to put that to one side as a booker, I, I don't do it very well. Like I could, I, I run a gig in London and I have someone else that does the booking specifically because I don't do that very well. That's an area I feel I do do quite well at. Um, mm. I think I use comedy subjective line probably the most out of every line I ever say. The amount of people go, well, comedy is subjective. Mm. <laughs> Especially we get people, oh, I didn't like that person. Yeah, I know you didn't, but the rest of the audience did. <laughs> and you have to look at it and go, but it's subjective. Everyone likes different things. Mm. How do you deal with that then? If like, someone emails in a complaint going, comedian number two was shit, and you, um, you go, but everyone else liked them. You know, It's incredibly rare people actually say things, actually. It's, okay. um, I think I've had one email complaint in eight years. Wow. I think. Um, we've had a couple at shows, and then obviously we can just say, thank you for your um, opinion. Uh, we'll take that on board. Obviously, comedy is subjective, but we'll always take that on board. Mm. And just, just be polite with them. Diplomatic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's very rare to someone to feel that angry and annoyed to actually do an official complaint. And if they did, we'll just be diplomatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've had it once before, actually. And we had somebody who was incredibly drunk in the audience. And I seem to remember it was the MC, um, and they literally started shouting at the MC, and and, and really abusive actually. We mm. jumped to his rescue and tried to help him, make sure he's okay. They later emailed to complain, and um, we just emailed back and complete to the act's defence, mm. but very diplomatic at the same time. And she then got banned from the club. Um, <laughs> she's never been back there since. So if, if she's banned from, does that mean she's banned from that venue? That was from the the venue. It was the okay. it was a sports club. And so she got banned from the club, not from the comedy show, just the club in general, just because of her attitude. Um, she was quite aggressive. <laughs> so it's very, not. very rare. Um, but she was so drunk. She yeah. didn't know she was. She didn't know what she was doing. But we were very careful how we responded and very diplomatic. So yeah, a lot of. Um, can you check this before I hit send? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of that. That's normally between me and Elliot. That's that's when I come on board and I do all of that because Elliot doesn't tend to cope in that situation. Okay. Uh, but that's down to his Asperger's. Yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, it's good to have someone else to bat it off of anyway. Because, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I always check with people. That's, mm. To be honest, that's just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always think about who, what, how are they feeling and put myself in their situation and mm. respond. It does sometimes take a few hours to send an email like that when you've got to really carefully reply. Which makes sense why you can't get back to all 100 comedians that have applied for... Yeah, well, those hundred, that's just more because it's just too many and we've got, mm. I'm running Nottingham Comedy Festival and loads of other festival shows mm. and all my individual shows at the same time. <laughs> so it's just, for times, impossible. How many, how many shows, individual shows, do you run a year? I've, I've lost count. Okay. <laughs> just because there's too many, because it's all the festival. I mean, in Leicester mm. alone, we do 50 shows. Right. And that's just NCF Comedy doing 50 shows at Leicester. Right. Um, so if you just... Yeah, with all the others. And we do two pound night shows a month as well. Mm. In fact, it's just gone up to three. We're doing Derby as well now. Nice. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's just getting bigger. More, more shows. It's busier than yeah. ever. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of contradictory because you said, oh, some places are not putting in money. But that's mainly because it's more festival shows okay. that are getting busier. The rest of the paid shows, we're, we're working harder now to try and find those paid shows. So we're putting more time and effort into getting those, but there's not, not as many of them. Mm. So, so how? Um, okay, so why do you think the festival market, if you like, is expanding quicker than the club market? Just as you said earlier, there's there seems to be more cities opening festivals, and mm. I think other cities and towns are going, ah, oh, they're doing a festival. We're gonna have a good look at this as well, and then we just seem to say yes and go <laughs> along with it. 
just because we want to support the industry and we're trying to think well if they don't know what they're doing we'll give them a hand and give them some guidance yeah and take it from there okay cool and if if you had um one bit of advice for someone who wanted to um apply for us let's let's do it this way one bit of advice for someone who wanted to apply for a spot at a gig and one bit of advice for someone who wanted to put on a show and promote it what would those two things be trying to think now what the best advice would be um for a spot um we also just just email and if you've never done a spot before talk to different people and see what people got to say and the advice and just go along and just go and enjoy it don't pester promoter constantly um, i know my colleague gets very frustrated at and stops replying completely <laughs> i'm not like that <laughs> i try to um yeah, it's hard to give like one bit of advice. I think every show is different, okay. but just don't be scared to ask and just go and do it. And again, for the festival, if someone's got a show they really want to do, I'd say just go and do it. There's a lot of people who just sit back and just wait, and they're not necessarily going to find a spot because they're just sitting back and wait. You need to sometimes be proactive and go and find it and do and talk. And if people come to us going, I need some help and guidance, we'll give them that help and guidance. But we can't, we won't always give it immediately unless they physically ask for it because we don't know they want it. Mm. Um, so just talk and communicate. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's the key to everything. Yeah, to pretty much it. key to life, really, just talking. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, these are the last quick fire questions. So sure. quick fire for me, but you take as long as you want to answer them. Um, so, uh, what is the best show you've ever seen? I would say the boy with tape on his face. I think, I want to say this Ronnie Delia, uh, about 2012, 2013, he did a show at the Grand in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And it was just perfect. Mm. And in fact, we were talking to Tate Face the day, and we even told him that. Oh. And it's still so different and unique. And it's just before he, he got really big. Mm. And yeah, I think generally it's just an amazing show. Mm. Such a great concept. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's so, I've, I've met him, um, so I met him before he did Britain's Got Talent. Oh, well, America's Got Talent. America's yeah. Got Talent. Um, and I've seen, met him after, you know, hung out afterwards. He hasn't changed, which I think is amazing. He's the same, yeah. <laughs> same as always. But he's, he's just lovely. He's <laughs> amazing what he does, and it's so different to what everyone else is doing. Mm. And it's just, the show this year, the concept of it is so strong, and you can mm. see how it's developed over those years. And mm. I think that impact of that first show, that big. Yeah. The one at the ground has just always stuck with us. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you won't mind us saying that. <laughs> no, no. Well, I told someone there. Uh, I was walking. I was walking past the Hippodrome Casino in London. I was going to a gig. He was going to a yeah. gig, and he was doubling up. And he just went, "Oh, I, I'm so I've got to go. Got to go. Got to go." Ran straight past. The next day, I had a Facebook message from him going, "I'm really sorry. I couldn't stop saying uh, goodbye. I had to run back to get a prop and all this kind of stuff." I was like, "Mate, I was literally about to send you the same message." Where I was going, "I'm so sorry. I couldn't stop. I had to go and do a gig." And it's just. Uh, knowing that someone, even at a sort of level that's much higher than myself at this point, is still, first of all, very neurotic and, and panicky, but also just so caring and remembers you and takes the effort and stuff that I think speaks volumes towards that kind of person. So. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, what is the best book you've ever read on comedy writing or stand-up? I've not actually read that many books about comedy side stuff. Um, not sure I can answer that one. Okay, I'm not sure how what, what to say. I'll take that one out. <laughs> Um, what is the biggest misconception people have about what you do? People would think we just get to go and watch and just laugh at stand-up all the time. But in fact, we spend pretty much most of our time in an office uh, doing emails and working incredibly hard. Um, as much as I would love to be in back of comedy clubs watching comedy all the time, it doesn't happen. Mm. <laughs> Although that is obviously a great perk. Mm. How many gigs do you see a week out of interest? It depends on type of year. Um, we can sometimes have a quiet week, and other times we can see cramming hundreds of shows. It's different every year. Yeah. Uh, different every week, even. Yeah, definitely. Um, what is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see? Most interesting thing? I'm trying to think now. <laughs> I'm trying to think what is an interesting thing I do that's not. I think because you're so used to doing it, you almost mm. forget what the. Um, the most interesting for me the most interesting thing is literally just when you're seeing acts and friends um, from when they started out and over the years you get to see them grow as in in their career and obviously I can't physically see all of that but it's 
it's just that's probably one of the best, most rewarding parts of the job when you get to see them and you come back and they can do it. That's more of a personal feeling mm. to it rather than a physical act. But even when you just see in the news on short tour and they've done something, it's just that's incredibly rewarding to see that. Mm. It's more proud of them. Yeah, a little bit like um, oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah it's it's really nice. It's um, definitely stays with you when you can see that. Yeah, comes back to that whole supportive thing and, and helping each other out and just being in it together. And, very, yeah. very much so. I think that's it is the number one crucial thing. Definitely. Um, who do you think is the most underrated person in the comedy industry? Most underrated? Ooh, there's so many people who are underrated. It, I can't really name just one. Um, pretty much, I'd say every single promoter and agent out there who promoters work so incredibly hard and most time people don't see what promoters actually do <laughs> we work to the ground pretty much no, no money nothing and we all fight to the death of the comedians so I think probably every promoter in the country mm. all of them <laughs> all of them no that's why I always ask the question what's the most interesting thing that you ever see because most people uh, it's like an iceberg you guys we see like the 10% of what you guys do yeah you don't see any of it no, <laughs> so no. you see the final product what yeah. you don't see is, is struggling in the office and the fights and debates we have for venues and agents and everyone purely for the comedians mm. it's insane yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm sure um, final question uh, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it we need comes down to what we were saying earlier about venues being able to increase the budgets so we can actually be able to give comedians a better income for what they for what they do. Um, acts need to be paid on time and with a decent wage. Uh, that's so important. I think um, what the comedy guilds and equity are doing is incredible, and I think it just needs to keep on with that really, and just we just need to all fight together to be able to get the places to give more money to be able to do that. So keep it going, keep it strong. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. No worries, thank you. That was Helen. Her get off your ass and make something happen attitude and drive really got me at a point in the fringe where I was tired and I didn't want to do anything else. And it was a joy to chat to her. And it was even more exciting and reassuring to hear that Nottingham comedy audiences can be a little quiet. As I was there last year and they weren't the loudest on the tour, but they were very appreciative and really lovely to work with and to to perform for and i'm back there this year god that's convenient simon please come and prove me wrong if you want to come and laugh loud at my jokes uh, i'm doing laughter is the best placebo at 9 p.m on the 11th of november at the cross keys all details are, are in the description or on my website which is simonkane.co.uk there is about half the tickets left uh, i nearly sold out last year uh, so please do come because i'd love to sell out a uh, I'd love to sell a room out in my old uni town. I've taken a room that is about 10 seats smaller than last year, so it should be easier to sell out, he says, cockily. (laughs) Um, Big shout out to JD Henshaw for giving me a room to record this in early in the morning during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2017. Uh, If you'd like to thank him or anyone at the Suites venue, do feel free to tweet them. If you would like to thank Helen, you could also tweet her. All these details are in the show notes on the website. Please do, please do support us by telling them that it is worth coming on and that people listened and appreciated it. And it's a nice thing to do. You've got nothing to lose. Are you listen to us on a train? Are you bored waiting for your gig to start? Tweet them. Tell, them. tell them you had a lovely interview and that you got value out of it and that you do appreciate their time that they put into this as well. You can also tweet me for the same reason, by the way. I will not say no to a bit of praise because these things take bloody forever. Quick plug, as I said, doing the Nottingham Comedy Festival... 11th of November, 9pm at the Cross Keys. If you can come, I would massively appreciate it. Uh, I'm actually on directly after a very rare gig from a former podcast guest. Uh, Ian Boldsworth and Barry Dodds are splitting a comedy show where they're going to be doing half an hour each. Why not get tickets for both? Support both uh, of us and make a day of it. Uh, I'd love to meet some podcast listeners and uh, all the support would be massively appreciated. If you're new here, please do hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do consider giving us an honest review in iTunes. And either way, if you'd like to give a donation just to keep the show going, um, this show lives or dies on donations and the support of the community of the listeners. So if you have one pound to say thank you for this episode, just a pound, I'd massively appreciate it. If everyone did it, we would be somewhere towards getting breaking even. So if you can't afford it, don't donate. If you can, if you can spare a pound, 
and it's just sitting in your PayPal doing nothing, send it my way. Uh, it would really appreciate it. Uh, SimonKane.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for donating. And thank you very much for sharing if you do. The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. If you'd like to contact me about anything related to the show, you can tweet me at this made me cool or email me simon.m.caine at gmail.com. And I'll see you all in about 14 days' time. Bye! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.